0: Romans chapter 6, titled Tonight's Message: The Walking Dead. And hopefully it'll make sense by the time we are through with Romans chapter 6 tonight. Uh, but do me a favor, though. This is very important. Uh, especially if your Bibles have a bookmark, uh, put a bookmark in either Romans chapter 6 or Colossians chapter 2. Either or, because we are going to be bouncing back and forth between both books throughout tonight. Romans chapter 6, and then a bookmark in Colossians chapter 2. Hayden, for a second, I thought you were going to get a second Bible and just have it open. I was like, man, smart thinking. Smart thinking. But he needed a study sheet, so. All right. I take it if you said you're talking, that means you guys are there and you're ready. So let's go ahead and look at the introduction for tonight's lesson. Those who have been justified by faith in Christ's shed blood are... Who can fill in the blank? Those who have been justified by Christ's shed blood are what? Saved. 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 That was Romans chapter 4 two weeks ago. And we saw last week... That they stand at peace with God and have access to Him because Christ became their hope of glory, paying the penalty of death. We talked about how that is something that is completely unique just to New Testament salvation. You guys who are in here and have been justified by the blood of the Lamb, you have something that nobody else has had the privilege of for the last well, prior to the last 2,000 years, the entire Old Testament, direct access to the Father himself for anything. And I hope after last week's message you took advantage of that privilege. If not, let tonight be another reminder for you. As if that were a small thing, Paul doesn't stop there. In chapter 6, he paints yet another beautiful picture of what happened to you the moment you personally trusted Christ as your Savior. Let this be a stirring reminder for you of how free in Christ you truly have been made. Give me a reader for verses 1 and 2. Sammy. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there? Point number one. He makes a very, very startling statement here before we even get to point number one. And before we even get to verse one, I guess, we have to say, well, what is he talking about here? What shall we say then? We'll just go up two verses in chapter five. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. In light of that, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we just continue to sin that we might get more and more of God's blessing? And the answer is very, very obvious as he states, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin... Live any longer there. And if you want to take notes, you might want to mark this down. There's a difference between being dead to sin and being dead in sin. We're going to look at a passage later on tonight where it talks about being dead in your sin. Meaning that there's no chance of eternal, there, there's no chance of you earning your salvation through your own means, through your own body, through your own works, because you're dead to sin. But here he's talking about dead Or, I'm sorry, flip it and reverse it. He talks about before how you're dead in sin. Here he's talking about you're being dead to sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What he's talking about here is a state of being that we are in. It is a state of being that we who have been justified. Please understand We are not in the section of the book of Romans that is talking to lost people about how lost people can be saved anymore. We pass that. Chapters 1 through 3 talking about lost mankind. 4 and 5 are how you get saved. Now we're looking more at the Christian and what happens after the fact. We have entered into this terrain starting tonight with chapter 6. This is all about what now? Now that we've been justified, what does that mean? What does that look like from God's perspective? And he kicks things off by talking about this state of being that we find ourselves in. Now, this is kind of a a doctrinal thing that you might hear of. The difference between state versus standing. A more practical way of putting it, your position... Versus where you practically are on a daily basis. Now this is huge with where we're going tonight. Again, this is some theological doctrinal stuff here. For him to tell us that we are dead to sin, he's talking not about the idea that we don't sin anymore practically, because we do. More on that next week. He's talking about the idea that once we became justified by faith in the shed blood of Christ, and we trusted in that shed blood as payment for our sins by what? By faith? Positionally speaking, the state we find ourselves in is that we are dead to sin. Sin has no more power over us. In letter A, we are dead to sin. And point one, sin has no more power over us who are in Christ. More on that in a second. Because positionally speaking, the state that you and I who are saved find ourselves in, we're no longer in sin, we are in Christ. That is a key phrase that is going to come up again and again tonight, so you might as well get it in your head now. Just like last week it was much more, this week it is in Christ. In Him, into God, into Christ. Keep that in mind as we keep going. But number one on your outline, sin is no more power over us who are in Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 elaborates on this a little bit further. Talking about Christ who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Again, he's not talking about it's, it's impossible for us to commit sins. He's talking about the state of being in sin. We are dead to sin. We are no longer in that state of being anymore because we have been placed positionally in Christ. But now that we are dead to that, we should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. And he goes on in verse three. I need a reader for that. Romans six, verse three. Isabella. Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? And point number two, we see from this verse, at the moment of salvation, a spiritual baptism occurred where we were placed into christ baptized in into jesus christ this is huge this happened to each and every single one of you in this room the moment the instant you called upon christ to save you when you believed and trusted his shed blood as payment for your sins by faith this happened at that very moment and it makes sense doesn't it what does matthew 28 19 tell us that we're supposed to do concerning baptism Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing baptizing them. And here we thought that he's talking about physical water. You understand that there's more than just one baptism in the Bible? And that that baptism, much like this baptism, is not talking about being immersed in water, though in a way it kind of is. No, he's going deeper than that. Water baptism is just a picture of what happened internally. The spiritual baptism is what he's talking about. First Corinthians twelve, thirteen says, For by one capital S spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whose body is that? The body of Christ. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, we talked about this a couple Sundays ago. Whether we be bond or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. When a Jew comes to receive Jesus Christ as a Savior, or when a Gentile comes to receive Christ as a Savior, both, they are spiritually baptized into the body of Christ. That's the third people group that God speaks to in the Bible. And he says in Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ... Have put on Christ. Again, he's talking about a state. Your position. Again, if you're in here tonight and you received Christ as your Savior, what position do you find yourself in right now? It's the phrase, you are where? In sin? If you're saved, are you in sin? No, where are you? In Christ, You've been placed into Christ. You have been baptized into Christ. That is the position you find yourself in. That is your state you are in because you're dead to sin. It's mortified. It's killed. Now, holding your place here, flip over to Colossians chapter 2. I guess I probably should have taken my own advice and put a bookmark in Colossians. Live and learn. I love this passage. This should be should be pretty uh, familiar passage to those of you who heard Pastor Aaron preach this a couple Sundays ago. But check out verse nine. For in Him, in who? What position do you find yourself in if you're saved? In Christ. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete in Him, verse 10. In who? Christ, Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, those two phrases, principality and power, that's a phrase that God uses here and in Ephesians chapter 6 to talk about beings in the unseen spiritual world that we cannot see. Means both good and bad angels, essentially. We're complete in Him, and He is the head over all principality and power. In whom also, in who? Christ, ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That's a very interesting phrase, but look how He describes it here. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision, of Christ. Don't have time to get into it fully tonight, but if again, this is just repeating what Pastor Aaron preached on. You and I being born in Adam's image, the first birth, when you're born into this world, are you a three-part being like God originally intended us to, or are you a two-part being? Two being. Two-part being. Because Adam fell. And so now we're in his image and because we are in this body and this soul the Bible talks about how our soul it is attached to our body because in the Old Testament if you touched something that was an unclean thing the Bible says that you violated your soul your soul was in jeopardy of perishing because your soul is connected with your body you say how is that? well just check out Luke chapter 16 sometime tonight or this week it's great b- bedtime reading talks about the rich man who ends up dying and going to hell and what his experience is like. Read that before you go to bed. won't keep you up nights at all. And so this man, he's talking about while he's there and how he tells, he, he sees in this gulf, this is back before Christ had died, so of course heaven is in the earth and there's this big gulf between it and hell. And the rich man who's in hell, he sees Lazarus and he tells Lazarus, hey, dip your finger into some water and, and just, just touch the tip of my tongue. In hell, he could taste. And in hell, he knew that he had digits and he, he wanted Abraham or, or, the rich, or Lazarus just to dip his finger into water just to cool his tongue. And he could see the great gulf, which means that his eyes had sight in hell. And of course, the Bible says that he being in torments, so obviously he felt the pain and the fires and the anguish of hell. Yeah, your body, when you die, you go into the ground, but the Bible talks about your soul. You have a soulish body that experiences all of these things if you're not saved. And before salvation, your soul and your body, they're intertwined like this. That's why there needs to be a spiritual circumcision that takes place that circumcise or cuts loose your soul from the body of this death Why? Because how can anything holy go into the profane? The moment of salvation, God sends His Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of you. But He's holy. And God says that He will not let His Holy One see corruption. So there must be some kind of a severance between the body of this death, the body of sins, the body of sins He's talking about here, of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The moment that you received Christ as your Savior, a spiritual circumcision took place inside of you, severing your soul from your body. You're not tied to your sins anymore. You're not tied to your body of death anymore because you have now been placed and baptized fill in the blank, in Christ. Thank you, Hannah. Verse 12. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him. More on that in a little bit. Through the faith of the operation of God. Well, yeah, circumcision is an operation. This is a circumcision that was made without hands that could have only been done by God, not of our own works, who hath raised him from the dead. Verse 13, and you, I told you this would come up, being dead in your sins. When you were born to your mom and your dad, you were dead in sin. You were as good as dead. There was no hope for you outside of Jesus Christ interceding on your behalf on the cross and saving your soul. You're dead in sin. This is different now than being dead to sin, which happens after salvation. Being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened or made alive together with Him, having forgiven you some trespasses, Just the trespasses you committed up to the point of salvation? No. All trespasses, past, present, and future. And don't miss verse 14. He says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross, Pastor Aaron, again, went through this whole description. This is basically a picture of the book of Ruth and what it means to have a kinsman redeemer. If you had this list of crimes and these laws that you had broken against you, it would be written outside of your jail cell exactly everything that you did wrong so that everyone could see exactly what kind of a sinner you were. Same thing was like that with you before you came to know Christ. And the Bible says that when Jesus Christ interceded on your behalf, He took all of those, everything. Just think about the thoughts you had today, let alone the actions you had yesterday or the things you said last week. Everything. He took it and He nailed it to His cross saying, I'm going to pay their fine. I'm going to pay their debt. Because the only way, as we'll see by the end of tonight, that you could have paid that debt is to be eternally separated from Him forever in a place He never designed for you to go to, according to Matthew 25. place called hell. But I have somewhat against Pastor Aaron because he stopped there. He should have read verse 15. And, having spoiled who? Principalities and powers, which I said are Who? Good and bad angels, the unseen spiritual forces that are constantly surrounding us, that are constantly at work in the the heavens. More on that this Sunday. Teaser for you. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I love it. You know what that word spoiled means? It means to violently take away, it means to pulverize words you don't often associate with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He pulverized the forces of darkness that were against you. He violently took away the sins, the handwriting of ordinances that were against each and every single one of you, took them away violently with force and with passion when he went to that tree and died for you. And he made a show of them openly, Triumphing over them in it. There are things that went on that day at Calvary that go just beyond paying the penalty of your death, that go beyond paying the penalty of Adam's disobedience. He created such a, a what am I trying to say? He, he created such a, just a, uh, a bragging display. When he rose again and went before all of the unseen forces that constantly come against you and I, trying to get us to not obey and surrender to him every single day, he went up to them and said, hey, do you see my servant? They are mine. I have purchased them with my own blood. Their sins are gone. He showed you off to all of the unseen forces. And you wonder why you're hated? You wonder why you have struggles and problems daily? Jesus Christ was boasting, triumphing over them with what he did on the cross. This is talking about this spiritual baptism that occurred the moment. You received Christ. Now again, we're going to flip on back to Romans chapter 6. We're going to go more into detail. Again, I don't know if you guys ever realized that this happened to you. At the moment, the instant, you called upon Christ to save you by faith. When you were placed in Christ. Romans chapter 6. So not only do we find that this positioning that we have in Christ, not only does it mean we're dead to sin, we're dead to the state of sin, we can no longer be uh, in the, the body of our flesh that we just saw in Colossians 2 again. Not only that, but in letter B, your life is hid with Christ. Look at verse 4. Therefore, he's going to take this idea of being spiritually baptized further. We are buried with him by baptism into death. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, who? We also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. This is where we get the picture of the physical water baptism. The reason that we do it by immersion where you are down and then you're back up again is because it signifies what he did when he died and when he was buried and when he rose again. But what he's saying here where he's adding to the piece of the puzzle is that he's letting each and every single one of us know who have trusted Christ and have been justified that spiritually speaking, this is what happened to your soul. This very same operation, this very same process. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man... He's talking about the state of being in sin. That state of being in sin that we are now dead to because we have been positioned in Christ. That's the old man. That our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be what? That henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse seven, for he that is dead is freed from sin. First things first, real quick. The point he's making here is he's not talking about the sins that you and I commit every single day. He's talking about the state of being in sin where we are hopelessly lost. Do you guys get that? Okay, now we can move forward. He that is dead is freed from sin. Are you in Christ? Are you? That's the part where you answer. are you in christ yes so that means you've been raised to walk in newness of life which means that because you're walking in newness of life because he walked in newness of life he rose again from the grave you are dead to sin you still commit sins we'll talk about that next week that's what chapter 7 is all about but you no longer are viewed from god's perspective in heaven as being in sin he does not see that anymore Praise God that when He looks down from heaven, even though I know how much I screw up and mess up on a daily basis, He doesn't see that. All He sees is me in Christ. Having been baptized and immersed in Christ, I'm dead to sin because my old man was crucified with him. The moment you chose to place your faith in Christ, it was almost as if you, your your body of sin, your body of flesh, went up on the cross with him and you died that day. That's what this passage is talking about. Now, I'm going to say something and it's more than likely going to go against everything that you've been taught. It's There have been people who said a phrase like this over and over again. And really, I want to dismantle that and I want to eradicate it from your mind forever. More on that next week, though. Let's pray. Just kidding. Just kidding. I really want you guys to not look at things and if you've ever heard a pastor here or a teacher or a winter camp speaker or a summer camp speaker say this phrase I know they mean well and I know there's going to be people who say it in the future and they're going to mean well but I want to tell you in light of this passage I hate the phrase live your life for Christ. Hate it. You realize how carnal that phrase actually is? we have it in our minds and this is just being real for a second we have it in our minds that salvation was all of Christ and now that we're in Christ we're on the other side of the cross that now it's up to me to maintain my walk and to make sure that I am maintaining good works and I'm doing all of these things and that is the case but we think that it's all up to us it's all up to me to do this and we forget Colossians 2.6 I won't have you turn there even though you probably got your bookmark there he says as we just talked about that on Sunday as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk ye in him when you received Christ you died you came to a point where you died to self. You died to your way of thinking, your way, your, the way that you were going. You admitted you were a sinner. That's dying to self. And that's trusting in Him. That's how we're to walk every single day. Again, I know when people say, live your life for Christ, they mean what I'm about to say. But I'm going to say it to kind of jar your thinking, to say this in a different way so that it helps you guys to understand. And I put it all in bold on your outline. Instead of living your life for Christ, we need to be less concerned with living our lives for Christ and more concerned with letting Christ live his life through us. Do you see the difference? Again, maybe just a matter of semantics. I think a lot of pastors, a lot of your teachers who have maybe said that before, I think they mean what I said here. But be honest with yourself. How often? Because I know for me, whenever I heard that phrase, I'm like, all right, got to make sure I'm trying harder. i got to make sure that I'm trying harder not to fall into that sin again. I've got to make sure I'm trying harder and harder and harder. And it's got to be me, me, and me. And I forget the fact that I'm a dead man. The moment that I gave my life to Christ, that's literally what I did. I gave my life to Christ. And if you're in here and you're saved, that is what you did as well. Maybe the next couple verses will help illustrate that more, if four through seven didn't. But this is what I call the essence of the Christian life. And please understand when I tell you. It was this passage right here, and it was this thought process that honestly it, this was my entire reason for wanting to do the Book of Romans. Was this passage, was this thought. And there's even verses that we're gonna look at here in a little bit that I've mentioned again and again for the last couple of months because I am so dead set on this. And if there's one thing that I wanna make it my life's goal to instill into you guys, it's this very principle. This is the essence of the Christian life that I think a lot of Christians get jacked up. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by the faith of the Son of God, not Corey Howell's faith. My faith was required at the moment of salvation, but now I'm living by the faith of the Son of God. I'm living by His faith because it's His life. Because I'm dead. He lives in me. Yeah. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. Christ. The essence of the Christian life. You guys, turn back over to Colossians chapter 3. Hopefully you got your bookmark there. Make it quick. Again, a passage that hopefully you're familiar with. I quote it a lot. Verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. Let me ask you, are you risen with Christ here tonight? Two people are awesome. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I had to take Wyatt and Ryder home early this past Sunday because they were sick but from what I understand Pastor Tom's message was on eternal perspective I don't know if he mentioned this passage or not but to seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God you know the things that are above you have the word of God you have the throne of God you have the souls of men and you have God himself those are the things you're supposed to seek that's what you're supposed to set your affection in verse 2. On things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affection on things above, not your stinking grade point average. Amen. Set your affection on things above, and not whether or not you make all Ohio. Oh, no set your affection on things above, and not what you're going to be defined as for your career. Set your affection on things above and not what you're going to be known as in high school. I don't know if anybody finished the rest of that message that I sent in the group meeting this morning. But all of those things I just mentioned, you realize in a hundred years from this moment right now, none of those things are going to matter. Your grade point average, where you went to college, your career, none of it will matter if, if, it is apart from you setting your affection on those things above if it's all about you building your kingdom here and don't deceive yourself I understand that's kind of a harsh phrase and you might be thinking oh of course that's not me you no know, this is the kind of passage where you all ask yourself me included is it me Lord is it me that's right. remember the disciples asked that when Christ said that one of you is going to betray me is it me Lord every single one of them except John because he said, who is it? He knew it wasn't him. But this is one of those passages where you, actually, you ask that of yourself. Am I setting my affection on my grade point average? Look, I'm not telling you guys that every single one of you just start dropping out of school and start getting F's. I'm not telling you that at all. But listen, if you are stressing out between getting a 90 and an 89% and you are studying your guts out in order to try to get that 90, you might be setting your affection on things on this earth especially in lieu of, and again, this might sound harsh, but I don't know. I look at a passage like this, and I look at what it's meant for me, and the passages throughout the Scripture that line up with this principle, and I think tonight's going to be a little bit more preachy than it is teachy. So sorry. But if you are on that fringe where, you know what, I'm spending extra three hours a night studying to get that 90, because I don't want that 89B, then don't give me anything as far as, well, that's why I couldn't study my Bible. That's why I can't start this Bible study at school. That's why I can't witness to my friends here. Hey, if you're putting in five hours and homework and studying just to get a C, all right, that's a different story. But if you're stressing and fretting between an A and a B, 100 years from this very moment in time, you realize it will not matter. how many friends you had, whether or not you were the homecoming king or queen, it's not going to matter a hundred years from now. If it doesn't matter the day you die, it does not matter. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse 3, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And as if that didn't nail it home even further, he continues in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, he doesn't say who's like our life, he doesn't say who's as our life, he says when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. Up on the screen here, 2 Corinthians 5.15, and that he died for all, that they which live, us, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. All right, I think we're going to have the conversation now. I've been teasing it for weeks, months. Let me just preface this by saying this, and please, whether you're here or you're listening on the podcast, listen very clearly. I'm probably going to upset some people, if I haven't already. What I'm about to say is more my opinion. I think there's some scripture that backs it up but this is just my opinion. Okay? Is everybody clear on that? My opinion? Yes. When it comes to this whole idea of college, (sighs) there is this kind of just blank, not really thinking, rote, robotic kind of attitude and behavior that, well, When I'm done with high school, I just go to college. And I've seen it happen again and again and again. After graduating year, after graduating year, after graduating year. And I get it. For some of you, you're going to need to support a family, so you're going to need to. But for those of you who believe God's calling you into full-time Christian service, is it? Is college needed? For those of you guys, I would say yes, because you don't really know when, if at all, you're going to be called into the ministry. So, man, you being the breadwinner, you being the leader of the home, men, consider it. Yeah, absolutely. Girls, I don't know if I want you to raise your hands or not. Maybe I'll just ask it like this. How many of you, and you can raise your hand or not, or actually, let's just keep the hands down. This is more rhetorical. How many of you feel that either God is calling you into the ministry to be a pastor's wife or a missionary's wife? Or, and I'd say this is rivals both of those things, a stay-at-home mom to be a homemaker. If that is the case for you, is college needed? I get it. Who knows when and if the godly man is going to come into your life, and who knows what you're going to do. But here's my point that I'm getting at. It's not that I'm telling you, do not go to college. And please, don't take that away, and you'll understand here in a second where I'm going with it. So if you do end up going to college, don't think I'm going to be mad at you. But... It's that there's so much of this, Just this is just the way things are. This is the way things have always been. This is the way that my mom and dad did it. This is the way my brother and sister did it. This is the way that everybody else does it. And so this is what I should be doing. And no one ever stops and considers, since this is his life and I'm dead, what does he want me to do? What we tend to do instead, and you and I were just talking about this the other day at discipleship, what we tend to do instead is we tend to think, well, there's nothing inherently sinful with this, and there may or may not be good godly churches there, or I'm not too far away from our church that I can drive there, so since there's nothing inherently sinful with it, how could God not be in this, me going to college? Or, or, and I've seen this happen too, that, tr- that school that you were praying for, You get accepted in, and you automatically think, well, surely this is of God. Or maybe you weren't really praying for it, but you really, really wanted to get in. Or maybe you prayed for it, but you never ended with, nevertheless, Lord, thy will be done, not mine. Because, and this happens in the Bible a lot, sometimes God will give people the desires of their heart, even though it's not His will. And sometimes we think, well, I got into the place of my dreams. I'm following my career, my career, in the place of my dreams, and the place that I wanted to go. How could it not be of God? Because He let me get in. I would think that if He didn't want me to get in, He wouldn't let me get in, and that would be His will. Doesn't always work like that. The point I'm trying to get you to see is not that I want none of you to go to college. Some of you desperately need to go to college. (laughs) mostly the guys. The point I'm trying to get you to see is, is this your life and what you want to do and where you're wanting to go and you're just tagging God's name along to it? Or is it truly what he is wanting to do with his life through you? Do you see the difference Controversial, yeah, and if that's the way that God leads you, okay, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to think that you're outside of God's will if that's what happens to you. But just consider the alternative. Wrestle with God the other way until he makes it abundantly clear what his will and plan is for you. That's what I'm trying to get you to see is that it's not your life anymore. It's his. That doesn't mean he's calling you into full-time Christian service. But filter every decision of what you do based upon what does he want with this vessel, this lump. What does he want? Because on your outline there, said in a different way, the Christian life is about you recognizing your deadness daily so that he may live through you. Up on the screen. Again, talking about the essence of the Christian life, Luke nine twenty three, and he said to them all, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Amen. And follow me. What's a one word answer definition for follow me? What's a follower? I thought that was someone who met once a week with somebody else and went over the Bible in a book. Supposed to. But it's not just that. Discipleship involves pain. Did Christ not go through pain on the cross? It's an instrument of death. If any man will come after me, are you pursuing after God? there's going to be a life of pain ahead. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Are you getting too comfortable in this world system? It's funny, I didn't tell Andy to talk about TikTok or Snapchat or anything like that. But man, there's a lot of things that these reels and everything that can influence you in. And by the way, I do see the likes that you guys have on some of these reels and some of these, uh, apps, by the way, on some of these devices. Wow. Talking about being like the world by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Great. Now I'm going to get blocked. I just realized that by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That's a double crucifixion. That means, you know what? I don't care about this world's system. I don't care about this world's fun. I don't care what the world says it is hot, is sexy, is awesome, is fun, is going to be a good time. No, it's killed. It's dead. It's on the cross because that's what happened to me at salvation. I'm dead and it should happen daily for us as well. And he continues. 1 Corinthians 15.31 I die, how often? (laughs) 2 Corinthians 4.10 We are to be always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life also of Jesus not the life of Corey Howe as a saved man the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body what do your friends at school see when they see you do they see Jesus you want to wake up tomorrow and have a prayer request unto God that says Lord I want your hand to be so upon my life that everyone sees the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit you pray that prayer and watch how God will answer that but be ready It's like praying for patience. All right, back to Romans chapter 6. Forward all emails to andy.spate at yahoo.com if you are upset. (laughs) That goes for you listening online. (laughs) Romans chapter 6. So, again, to reiterate, again in bold, we need to be less concerned with living our lives for Christ. Again, it's not about me. It's not my life for Christ. It's not what I can do for Him. He just wants me to wake up, be dead, so that He can live His life through me. Less concerned with living our lives for Christ and more concerned with letting Christ live His life through us. Check out verse 8, Romans chapter 6. I love it. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, now check this out, dieth no more. So when Christ rose again from the grave, did he die again? No. But think about the picture that we just made with the first seven verses. Our salvation is a picture of what Christ did. Because we are dead with him, we were buried with him, we were raised to walk in newness of life with him. And since he died once and never again after that, what does that signify spiritually? Don't think physically. Spiritually speaking, I came to receive Christ. Oh, I was dead. I realized my need for him, dying to self. And I was buried, and when I received Christ, he put his spirit inside of me, and then he placed me in Christ, and now I have eternal life. Because he walked in newness of life. He rose again from the grave. And because of that, since he never died again, that means, spiritually speaking, I can never spiritually die again. Do you see how he's making that clear? I am in Christ. It's the state that I'm in. Even though I might commit sins, I can never be put back into my dead, circumcised body that I was circumcised with and the circumcision made without hands in Colossians 2. All that to say on your outline, point two, we are eternally secure because Christ didn't die a second time after rising again. If He died a second time, And that means, well, if he can die a second time, I can die a second time. And I'd be back in sin. I'd be back in my body of death. Verse 10 for in that he died, he died unto sin. How many times? But in that he liveth, he liveth unto who? Likewise, reckon ye, that means you, Also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's not talking about the sins that you will commit every single day here. He's talking about, am I ever going to lose my eternal security? Am I ever going to lose my position in Christ? He just said, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have these passages here in Hebrews ten. Hebrews ten gives beautiful illustration on this. By the which will we are sanctified, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? And for how long? All. But this man, Christ, after he had offered how many sacrifices for sins? For how long? Sat down on the right hand of God. What did God do after he in the on the sixth day? When everything was made in Genesis 1? He sat down and rested. Jesus Christ sits down because it is finished. Verse 14 For by how many offerings? He hath perfected for how long? You see, when the Bible's talking about that word perfecting, he's talking about this. Because from God's view, us being in Christ, we are perfect even though practically I screw up every single day from his viewpoint I'm perfect because I'm covered in the blood I'm in Christ for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more if you could be back in sin and be out of Christ again because you've lost your salvation that means he has to remember your sins and iniquities again and that makes him a liar and Titus 1 2 says God cannot lie And as if that's not enough, verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. But if there was a way that you could lose your salvation and be out of Christ and be back in your body of sin, you would need another offering for your sin in order to get back in Christ. Is that clear? If not, let's go further first bullet point in your outline, death is passed from you. John 5, 24 says, and this is Christ, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, present tense, everlasting life. You don't get it when you die. You have it at the moment you believe and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Love it. Next bullet point, you'll never perish nor can anyone take you from him again Christ himself says i give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand john 10:28 and lastly oh let's read the verse first Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Man, was that a mouthful. What does that mean? Well, you see, when you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, the Bible says, when that circumcision without hands happened, the Spirit of God sealed you, protected you. It's almost as though, you remember those old-timey kind of letters that people used to send where they put an envelope and they would put some hot wax on the envelope and they would put a ring and they'd seal it shut so that no one could open it? That's what that is like. But it's to a certain point. There is an end date of that ceiling, and he tells you what it is in verse 14. He says, it's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now, we've just been seeing in Romans chapter 6 that you are your soul has been saved. You're justified. You have a revived spirit. You've been born again. Christ has you. You know what He does not have at this very moment in time? Your body. But in 1 Corinthians 15, there's going to come a shout from heaven, and this corruptible must put on incorruption... And this mortal must put on immortality because when I am raptured, I'm going to get a new body. That is him redeeming or buying back the already purchased possession because he purchased my soul and spirit. I'm his. There's no change in that. If you're in here and you're saved, you're his. So in light of that, look how it's worded on your outline. I'll never forget. Pastor Stephen shared this years ago. And it's been an awesome statement. You cannot lose what God has purchased. If God purchased you with his own blood, how can you do anything to lose it? He purchased it. He bought it. You can't lose it. He bought it. You're his. You can't lose it. In light of all these other verses... In light of you being positionally placed in Christ, flip back to Romans chapter 6 if you're not already there. Point two, choose you this day whom you will serve. This will go quick. Famous last words. I have on here letter A, yield, the word yield, because we're gonna come to it in one of these verses here. I don't know if you ever thought about this. You guys who are driving, you see this on the highway, but I don't know if you've ever thought about it in these terms before. Yield means to give up or to give over, it means to submit. And check out the last one that's on there. This one I'm particularly fond of. It means to be inferior in rank. In other words, in going with our theme tonight, you're not the four-star general of your life. You're not in charge. You're not the top dog. You're inferior in rank. That's what it means to yield. Look at verse 12. He says in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Point one on your outline. What you have to understand now that you are in Christ is that you now have the power to not let sin rule in your mind and in your feelings. Whereas before, before Christ, when you were out of Christ, you were powerless. I think about that mortal body because, and I, I equate it with mind and your thoughts and your feelings because really that's where all battle of sin takes place is in the mind. And as a reminder, 1 Corinthians six nineteen 19-20, What? Know ye not that your body, that includes your thoughts, that includes your feelings, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own for ye are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit by the way which are God's so don't let sin reign in your thoughts and your feelings don't let it have its way with you well how do I do that? Well you know what Galatians 5.16 says walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh Walk in the Spirit. Walk with Christ. Spend time with Him. Spend time with Him in prayer. Spend time with Him in Bible reading. Take Bible reading to the next level with Bible study. And then pray some more. And then read some more. Walk in the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Bullet point down there. Put off the old man. The old you. To fill in your blank, that's self. Put off the old you. Get self off off the throne of your heart from reigning. Hold your place in Romans 6. Turn over to Colossians 3. Look at verse 8. But now ye also put off all these. Kick it off the throne. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Did you see the progression there? He starts with the root of these thoughts. And how these thoughts and these feelings inevitably work their way into action. It starts with anger. And if you don't put anger off, you're eventually going to get wrath. You're going to get ticked. And if you don't get wrath off, you're going to be filled with malice, which is just wrath on fire. And then eventually that's going to come out in blasphemy. And then filthy communication out of your mouth. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Uh, It's not okay for Christians to cuss. I I feel like I had to say that. Not really sure why. But just figured I'd put that out there. Fill the communication in your mouth. Verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Again, do you see the progression? It starts off with the root, and then it produces the fruit. If you don't put these off. These are the feelings, the emotions. Bullet point number two. You now have the power to not let your body be used for sin. Let me, I'm going to read you, actually just flip back again. We're going to be flipping real quick, so just pinch the pages here if it's easy for you. Romans 6:13. Neither yield, remember your definition, to give up, to give over, to surrender, to submit. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto who? as those that are alive from the dead. Are you alive from the dead? Are you? Okay. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For God shall not have dominion, or for sin rather, shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Don't forget, you are in a unique time that has never been before. Remember David when he sinned with Bathsheba, he had to pray to God, "Oh God, take not thy holy spirit from me." Because he wasn't permanently sealed like you are. What a unique privilege. You're under grace, not under the law. You don't have the power to not let your body be used for sin. Galatians 5:24 on the screen. And they that are Christ's, are you Christ's? Are you in Christ? They've crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. How are you doing on that? With the affections and the lusts, the flesh, body, mind, emotions, will. Bullet point, you need to mortify. That means kill. It means crucify the deeds of the flesh. Flip back to Colossians. So verses 8 and 9, we're talking about the thoughts and the emotions you have that you need to put off. Now verse 5 of Colossians 3 is going to tell you, here are the things you need to kill in your body. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He goes in reverse order this time. Instead of starting with the root to the fruit, he starts with the fruit and traces it backwards to the root of how you get to fornication. I've walked you guys through this before. Start at the bottom of verse 5. If you are covetous, meaning you're not happy with where God has you right now, you want more than what God has allowed for you. That's idolatry, by the way, he says. Again, not like idolatry, not as idolatry. No, it is idolatry when you covet. If you're not content, then it's going to work into concupiscence with the strong evil desires. And then it's going to work its way into inordinate affection. Where now you're wanting to act upon your evil desires. And then it goes into uncleanness. You have acted upon your evil desires. And then it gets its way to fornication. Now you brought somebody else into it. If you don't kill this at the root, which is idolatry, if you don't kill this at the root which is covetousness, wanting more than what God has allowed for you right now. Well, you see the fruit of it. But the beautiful thing is, since you're in Christ, you have the power to kill these things by mortifying yourself and crucifying your flesh daily and letting Him live His life through you Every single day. Man, just try. Just try. Okay, I get it. Getting up early in the morning to read your Bible sometimes sucks. I get it. Just try getting up and just stay in your bed and pray. And start your day that way and ask Him, Lord, help me to put these things off today. And help me to mortify these deeds of my flesh today. And may you live your life through me. Just try that tomorrow. See how different your day goes. Letter B. Because in the end, who or what you yield to will determine who or what you serve. Who or what you yield to will determine who or what you serve. Remember, to submit means to be inferior in rank. Look at point one. Is that on the back side of your page or is that the bottom of your page? Oh. Either way, You are inferior in rank to whom you serve. Whether to the living God or to the dead corpse. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you yield yourself to be a servant of obedience to righteousness, you will serve the living God. But if you choose to yield to your flesh, to your desires, to your affections and lusts, you'll just be serving a dead corpse, which is you, because you're dead. You're dead to sin. And either way, whoever it is you choose to serve, you are actually the one that's inferior in rank. You're not in control and in charge either way. It's death and sin, or it's obedience and righteousness. It's your dead, stinking, rotting corpse of the old man and the old body of sins, or it's the living God. Either way, it's not you that's in control. The sooner we get that, the sooner we see it in every decision and activity we find ourselves in, the better off life will be. Look at verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. You don't have to be anymore. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. My question to you is, have you actually believed from the heart? Or was you believing in vain? Was it just an empty prayer? What's your life been like? What fruit do you produce? You see in their bullet point, you now have the choice to not serve sin anymore if you've obeyed from the heart the gospel. What so Romans 1.5 was all about, obedience to the faith, knowing the gospel and then doing it, obeying it receiving Christ look at verse 19 I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, more and more sin even so, now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness, I don't care about your day today, I do but in this context, I don't care what you did or how you screwed up today I don't care how you screwed up yesterday. That was yesterday, but now, he says, yield your members, servants, to righteousness, unto holiness. That's what I care about. What are you going to do now? For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Why continue to live as though you're dead again? Why continue to live as though you're lost again, is what he's saying. What fruit did you have in that? Being now, it's it's what Israel wanted when they crossed over into the promised land and they started griping about how hard this life was and they wanted to go back to the way they were back in dead Egypt when they were slaves to sin, when they were in bondage. But now being made free from sin, verse 22, and become servant to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. You see, to close this out, don't dwell on the past, but... Don't forget where you've come from. If you're there, look at Colossians 3. If not, just listen as I read. Verses 6 to 7. For which thing's sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Don't live like you were when you were lost. Because it's because of those very same sins that all of your lost friends at school are going to die and perish if they are not found In Christ, if their sins have not been justified by the blood of the spotless Lamb, if righteousness has not been imputed into their account. Because of those things they do, because of the things that you partake in, if you're yielding unto that, because of those things that the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And last point don't forget the future of all those who are dead men walking. You see, the title of tonight's message is The Walking Dead. You guys are the walking dead because you're walking. That's the emphasis. Yeah, you're dead. You're dead to sin. But you're walking. You're alive. But everyone who doesn't know Christ, whether that's you in this room or your friends in school, they are dead men who are walking. There's a difference. They're walking now, but they're dead men. Don't forget the future for all of those dead men walking because, verse 7 of Colossians 3, in the which we also walked sometime when ye lived in them. And boy, does that go with Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Alright. So it's 7.52 right now. Hammered a lot of deep stuff tonight. And some of which I did not plan for. And some of which I still don't know how it went. But either way, if there's one thing I want you guys to focus on, it's the idea that if you are in Christ, you are not your own. And again, normally we start things off tonight doing either worship or a game because of just week and how things are going and my kids being sick. Couldn't do any of that. But then I started thinking, it was like an hour before we got here, you know, We've not gotten together to pray in a really long time. And I think after how tonight's message, where it just lent itself with Romans 6, how God orchestrated it, we probably need to do some introspection. So I want you guys to split up in no more than two or three. And you don't have to go into a whole elaborate thing of here's everything I've been through because it's 753 now. Share one thing that you have a need of in one sentence in a group of two or three. And let's spend the rest of tonight praying before we leave.